Hey y'all, welcome to the Tribcast. This is Ryan Sitton, Republican candidate for Railroad Commissioner. Double R and Double E are about to dish on R&Ds. It's Ramsey, Reeve, Emily, and Evan. And now, here's your host, Reeve the Hammer. Hamilton! Thank you for that enthusiastic introduction. What the hell was that? That was the best introduction yet. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the final week of June. Joining me is editor-in-chief and CEO Evan Smith. I'm just going to say that Ryan Sitton was inhaling methane gas or something. I don't know that what... would have been funnier with helium. Chemically it? induced, that intro. God. You just heard executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And then we also have editor Emily Ramshaw. You know, my dad's nickname was The Rammer, which made me think of that when he called you The Hammer. I don't know that anybody has ever called you The Hammer. No. No, it's not on my top ten list of nicknames. Of nicknames? That I've gotten. I'm going to do the top ten list of Reeve's nicknames. (laughs) One of them them is Reeven Hamilton, like Dave and Buster's. No, Reeven, that's right. (laughs) Who called you that? That Uh, that actually went out on a a Tribune (laughs) email. Uh, oh, did it? Yeah, it was a typo. Let's not dwell on this issue. We have a lot, many topics to cover, uh, including, I guess this Have you already of, forgotten? Yeah, already Today's forgotten. landmark anniversary? <laughs> yeah, this is the, the, this is the, the very backward. Of the Voting Rights Act, that, that anniversary? No, we're, gonna pay, we're not going to pay any attention oh, yes. to that, actually. Yeah, right. right, yeah. No, let's let's do the anniversary of uh, the filibuster. If you, if, can, Emily, can you remind us what the filibuster was? Uh, sure. A year ago today, if you may have forgotten, Wendy Davis stood in those pink running shoes for debatably between ten and thirteen hours. Definitely not debatable. That's between those for some period of time. For Eleven hours, I think, right. was the final number. Uh, but it, it is remarkable that people can't seem to agree on what the actual. Well, you know, it all got complicated the by was. the time that people were, you know, trying to drop the hammer and kick her off of there. Excuse me, I'm right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry, leave, wrong leave hammer. Leave this. <laughs> right. Drop your so, mind on his head. Uh, that does, was, does that count? the time that Rodney Ellis was adjusting her back brace? Right. That's all. Well, all does it count the post uh, three strikes and you're out point of order, but the pre-David Dewhurst clock manipulation? No one knows. And the actual duration d- is neither here nor there. She spoke for a very long time uh, trying to uh, defeat um, a greater restrictions on abortion um, in Texas. Uh, the filibuster itself was uh, more or less successful when the clock ran out and the Capitol erupted into chaos, although that abortion legislation did pass in a subsequent special session. So uh, we had some interesting competing columns this uh, today on, on Trib Talk. That's sort of a look at, you know, whether this filibuster was successful or not. Did this day matter or did this day not matter? I know Ross has had some interesting takes on that. Well, Ross actually said in his column in the Tribune today that – I'm going to paraphrase this, but basically whether or not you liked the filibuster, it mattered. Right? Yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, the do you agree with that, Ross? I, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> he said it. <laughs> Unusually, I do agree with something. You know, I often disagree with my column. But um, – yeah, I mean, it was a big deal if you're a Republican or a Democrat, and and everything—not everything, but a lot of what both those two political parties have been doing in the last year is one of them's trying to make it stick and turn, you know, that moment into a movement, and the other one is trying to make sure it just remains a moment that it was, you know, it, it was that one time and it never happened again. The Republicans would rather move along from there and say, you know, 
that was a moment of bad behavior and bad government, and we corrected it in a special session the next day. Nothing to see here. Folks go home. The Democrats are looking at it and saying, you know, we had an unusual show of political strength that night, and in the same ways that the some of the Republicans capitalized on the Populist Tea Party, we're trying to they're trying to um, capitalize on this populist movement. All the people in orange shirts that night. Why can't they both be right? I, I think they're both right. Well, I think sort that, of the question is yeah. is uh, it mattered past tense versus it matters. Present tense. Or what makes right. a movement? Like what determines literally how have they moved? So have they begun voting in bigger numbers because of this filibuster? There was no evidence of that in the primary. You know, their primary was a, you know, it, it's, you're right. It wasn't a very good test because most of their primaries were not contested. Mm-hmm. People didn't, you know, um, there was a, there were some minor candidates in some of those. In fact, Wendy Davis had one of those. Ray Madrigal ran against Wendy Davis and got 70, Nine, got, 79%. Got, Got twenty nine percent. She got seventy nine percent. Yeah, she got yeah. seventy nine. Um, and <laughs> very easy to get them confused. She, she won. Well, she uh, got seventy nine. But, we but there, there weren't the kind of primaries that the Republicans had that, that drew a lot of interest. You know, like the lieutenant governor's race and the AG's race and those kinds of things. So those, they're not going to draw a crowd for those. Those un, those uncontested candidates were largely determined by the filibuster. Wendy right. Davis and Letitia Vanderpute played their big roles in in that evening and. Sort of that is why they are the candidates they are today. And in that respect, the filibuster most assuredly mattered. I think the idea that somehow that was just any night is crazy. You you cannot be honest about the modern political history of Texas and believe that that night was just another night up the street. Right. It played a role clearly in establishing the people who were going to run for office. Did it play a role in the state's abortion legislation? No, no. The, you know, it, would it, Larry it, Wright it, have his uh, HBO show about oh, the Texas he, legislature? I don't think he, he would. Yeah, no, it? no. I, I, I do think he would. I don't think that the Larry Wright. I, I know that a number of people have said that the Larry Wright thing is entirely because of the Wendy Davis thing. It isn't. I, I've talked to Larry about it. I don't believe it actually is about that. I think it's more about the world of Texas politics, which preceded the filibuster and has succeeded the filibuster. Texas politics has been much more over this last year than the aftermath of the filibuster. The consequence to Emily's point about did abortion legislation materially change as a result of it? No, and I suspect that Wendy Davis would say, if she's honest, we didn't expect to win the war. We were just trying to win the battle, and the battle was largely symbolic because we knew that what would happen next was that the governor would call a second special, and they didn't have the ability to run the clock out, and that was it. But again. The Democratic Party for the last 20 years has effectively put up as candidates, not in every case, but in the majority of cases, department store mannequins and cardboard cutouts. In this election cycle, they have real candidates, at least in the top two slots. That is a direct byproduct of that night. Uh, Democrats have been saying for years that their person is not a cardboard cutout. This is Lucy in the football. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Carlos Sanchez – Carlos Sanchez. I mean, Tony Sanchez. <laughs> we like Tony Carlos Sanchez. Sanchez. I like Carlos just fine. Yeah. I'm not sure that he's running Carlos, right Carlos ought to run, I think. Too many Sanchez. head of, uh, of Asni, but I don't think. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Well, look, Bill look. White. I mean, those people were, you know, maybe Farouk Shami. With no, yeah. with no disrespect <laughs> to either Tony Sanchez or Bill White, I neither one is as cardboard consequ- cutouts and mannequins. Neither, I said which is which? most. I said most. Neither one last, is as consequential. Neither one is as consequential a figure as as Davis was as a as a direct result of that filibuster. Well, Wendy Davis is a national and international celebrity. In some respects, she has an Ann Richards problem. 
This was said of Governor Richards at the in, in the late days of her term as governor, that she's more popular outside of Texas than in. Davis is more of a celebrity and therefore probably has the ability to get more people to her, right, outside than inside, at least as of the numbers right now. But there's no question that the filibuster propelled her and Van Der Poot both forward. What about the point that uh, Senator Campbell made in her trip talk column about how you know, the topic that Davis discussed during her filibuster is rarely mentioned on the campaign trail. It's a double edge. That, that's one of the interesting things about this race has been that, the, you know, live by the thing that made you a celebrity, die by the thing that made you a celebrity. The, for every person that the abortion issue sort of said flatly attracts, it also brings somebody else uh, over who who opposes it and therefore you. It's not like it's a motherhood issue or an apple pie issue that's kind of generally heralded and embraced where just by virtue of being associated with it, everybody is, is for you. It, it's a double edge. You know, they're having this big right? event tonight, Wednesday night, that's sort of an, a rally commemorating the anniversary of the filibuster. Cecile Richards, the president of Planned Parenthood, nationally will be there. Leticia Vandepute, Wendy Davis, a whole the whole sort of lineup of people who were there on filibuster night. You know, I can only assume that abortion is going to be front and center in this, although they haven't really made it front and center of the campaign to this point. The way it shows up on the campaign trail is people talking about House Bill 2, which is a little bit of a euphemism for that bill, which did um, further regulate abortions and also uh, raise the standards for uh, women's health clinics that provide abortions in a way that puts some of them out of business. I think I think the lasting impact of this, if there is one, is going to be, or the question about it is going to be, did this engage people who were not otherwise engaged in politics, and did it engage them in a way that benefits the moribund Texas Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll see, you know, you might see a little bit of that in, in the November elections. You might see a tale. You know, I, I think there's going to be a story to be told one way or the other, kind of November 6th, 7th, and 8th after the election. What do the Democrats do? What do they do? They actually have a sustaining effort to organize going yeah. forward after that. Or is this just this year's, oh, really this time? Will you be able to gauge... Uh, what that might look like from the Democratic convention this coming weekend? Some. I mean, you're going to see, you know, you're either going to see some rally new, every time. Yeah, but you're going to see some new faces or not. You're going to see some uh, people talking about, you know, um, are they really debating issues here or is it the same old groups sort of fighting over a diminishing, you know, yeah. pie like the Democrats have been? Look, on election night, uh, in November, Wendy Davis is either going to exceed Bill White's vote total four years ago or she's not. And either way, it will be news. If she does better than Bill White, Democrats will claim. Better be news. Well, but the Democrats will claim. It's going to be news <laughs> either we way. we do for a living. But not, not for our purposes. Got to write something. Yeah. yeah. Democrats, if she exceeds Bill White's vote total, Democrats will claim progress made. If she doesn't, then they it'll won't. be fair to say. Well, she finished with fewer votes in the Democratic primary than he did. Um, it'll be few. It, it will be said that somehow, despite having the first genuine Democratic celebrity in 20 years, they couldn't make anything happen. the The, the fact is, we're having a conversation about both the governor's and a lieutenant governor's race, at least having the veneer of being competitive, because of that night. Had that filibuster not happened. She would not be running for governor in all likelihood. They didn't have candidates the week before the filibuster. Right. They were the scouting around, you right. know, looking in the couch. She for she would not be and... in all likelihood running for governor. She'd be running for her own Senate district. Let's just assume Senator Van Depute would presumably not be running either. 
the Democrats would have put up a nominal uh, uh, field, a pulse and a heartbeat. So like fair to a say cardboard cutout or a mannequin? Well, yes. <laughs> Neither of which yes. have a pulse or a heartbeat. And, and exactly. those people, but those people uh, who were up would be of a vastly different um, right. brand. So move the ball on politics right, right. did not move the ball on policy. Well, it's impossible to move the ball on policy until you move the ball on politics because right now the people who are in charge are people who don't want to see the ball moved on policy. Or politics. Right? You need new people. To move the ball on policy, elections have consequences. The oldest cliche in the world, it happens to be true. If you don't elect people who are going to move the ball on policy, then policy is not going to move. Well, just before we move on ourselves, uh, anything else to be expected out of the Democratic convention? Uh, no, I think that they're, they're going to – you know, they've, they've done a good job over the last few years. Garnet Coleman in the House has been running the platform for about 10 years, and he's done a really good job of taking sharp objects off the table. The Republicans tend to go into their conventions and make really hard statements of policy, really, you know, you're either with us or against us kind of statements on policy. Against a, the will of the chairman. In a, way mm-hmm. that, in a way that sometimes divides the Republicans themselves. The Democrats have been pretty careful to not do that. So I, I think that, you know, when I say that they're not going to make news, I think that they're not going to make news well, largely by design, well, and they're going to try to draw attention to their stars. I mean, isn't it also largely that Democrats are less divided right now as a party than Republicans are? I yeah, mean, if you're Republicans seem to have more to fight about. Right. Well, you know, they're in charge. So it's sort of like, you know, it's the Evan Smith line that there's two parties in Texas and mm-hmm. they're both Republicans. They're, right. You know, they, they're fighting amongst themselves. The Democrats are not numerous enough to do that. Right I, now. I am curious about one aspect of this, Reeve, and that is south of Antipute and, and Davis on the ballot. Are there any of the lesser known Democratic nominees for important offices, even though they're mid-ballot, who emerge – this will be the first time that a lot of people are going to get to see them. What, like Sam Houston? Sam, Sam Houston's Houston. going to be the one to watch. I right. Think. Sam Houston, uh, Mike Collier, we've seen a little bit more of. Um, John Cook and his guitar. John Cook, the candidate against George What's P. What's his guitar right? Jim Hogan. He ran for mayor of El Paso, running around with a guitar singing folk song. I want to know if Farmer Hogan is going to leave Cleburne for the convention or not. I doubt it. And I'd be curious to see what he. Look, he doesn't I, need he's, the he's, attention. He's, he's all up in the World Cup right now. And, you know, he and, is? and then. Um, <laughs> The one that was a shake of the head from Ross. The one the statewide African American <laughs> candidate among the major offices on the ballot is the Democratic candidate for Railroad Commission, Steve Brown. Brown. Right, and I'd be curious to see how he does. I mean, the fact is, I think there's an opportunity. Conventions are important to the majority of, of, of voters, or even to, to humans, humans, journalists, <laughs> anybody. But I do think it's an opportunity to see how they present in a setting like this. And I think that would be – I'm curious to see, again, because of Sam Houston's particular candidacy with the Paxton issues right. that are festering, right, and, and have the potential to create a problem for the Republicans. The Democrats need to have somebody who would inherit the, be- the benefits of that problem. These are right? Ken Paxton, the Republican candidate for attorney general, uh, has some uh, violations of state securities law that have been dogging him. He won the primary – Despite those, yeah, he went. He uh, Jay Root did a story on these. Our Jay Root and then uh, Paxton went in. Our Jay Root, Jay Root of um, Liberty, Texas, the Golden Voiced Um, Warbler, whatever you call him, (laughs) did some stories on Paxton (laughs) advising um, estate clients in his legal practice to invest in a company without also telling them that he was getting a an agency fee from that company if they made the investments, and so he paid some fines with the. Texas um, Securities Board and straightened a lot of that up, but it's but as Evan says, it's a it's a running question, yeah. and he, he's got a 
He's provided an opportunity if a Democrat is in position to take it. Democrats it, want this to be Ken Ghazi, right, going forward. Well, but they can't, but they can't do anything with it if they don't have anybody who can leverage the, mm-hmm. the potential benefits of it. You've been, Luckily, you've been use, wanting to use that word know, since you thought God, of it well, in the shower. I've been right? using yeah. it for weeks. But it illustrates the problem that they have, which is that they don't really have much of anything to throw against yeah. him, and that's and Sam Houston. This is this this is his moment to show whether he can be a credible alternative. Luckily, he has a recognizable up. name. And Dan Branch couldn't do it. You know, Dan Branch had a bunch of money to advertise with and had this information, and you know, um, tried it, um, tried using it in the Republican primary and didn't in the runoff rather, and, and asked an answer. Didn't, right? Didn't mm-hmm. get anywhere with it. So, no, so Paxton, Paxton can walk away and say the voters have already endorsed me again. Yeah, he just kept his head down for three weeks and right. didn't say a word. Right. Well, in addition to being the anniversary of the filibuster, it's also the anniversary of the day that House Speaker Joe Strauss issued a proclamation uh, that basically started the legislative investigation of UT Regent Wallace Hall. Is that right? I didn't know that. There was a lot going on there. So many anniversaries. Quite a day. Quite a day. Well, everyone will always remember June 25th, I think, as long as (laughs) Texas is around. Wow. which or hopefully like, is or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'd already forgotten. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I mean, the thing is, so that investigation of Hall is still going on uh, for people that listen to this. Yeah, it'll never end. Podcast. They may know that, uh, you know, there's a committee mulling Hall's impeachment. They've voted that uh, grounds for impeachment exist and they're currently writing articles of impeachment that they are planning on discussing further sometime in July. Uh, we don't know exactly if they'll be able to agree on any and... Uh, we'll see how that goes. But sort of complicating this is, uh, you know, Hall has repeatedly raised allegations of sort of misconduct at the University of Texas at Austin. And one of those has finally gained some traction, which is this idea that there's sort of um, favoritism for those with political connections in UT Applicants. Austin's ad- admissions. And the idea would be that if I have a political connection, I can call my connection and say, hey, I can't get into UT Law School. Can you get me in? And bada Can bing, you bada get boom. my kid in? Right. right. Or can you write a me letter or on my, my kid's or, behalf? Right, right. And so the, the system, at the end of last week on Friday, I was talking to Chancellor Francisco Cigarroa, and he had previously decided that they weren't going to launch a full investigation of these allegations because they had done an internal sort of review at the system. And um, something happened where he decided to change course. And he, they're going to have a big you know, full vetting of the thing. They're going to hire an external investigator. So did something happen like you think he found some additional information and decided that this is worth a full-scale review? Because the internal initial review was that, you know, yes, it did appear that these applicants got in at higher rates, but there wasn't really anything more to see here, and this was not like an institutional problem. And now suddenly we're having an institutional review. Uh. Well, the first one was an institutional review. This is a, you know, a, external. Well, the difference between a review and an investigation is sort of a term of art because right. well, presumably something happened. Emily's right. Presumably something happened between. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to presume. I think Sigaroa said that this is this is because of ongoing questions that can't be answered by the limited nature of the first review, and because he has received additional input. "Quote unquote." What is that? Okay, well, what's that? But he his quote say. also says he wants this investigation so that they can sort of clear the air and and end this. Right? I think they tried to clear the air the first time, and I think it they didn't work. they did a they did a review or investigation, whatever you want to call it, of the University of Texas at Austin by the University of Texas system, and tried to call that a third party review. 
<clears throat> people like look Barry Bergdorf investigation. This is a point that yeah. people looked at it. Yeah, well, people looked at yeah, it. Yeah, and Emily said and I went back and forth on we this. Have, we mean, have a disagreement. You have here. to you I have think... to appreciate in this situation that there is absolutely no love lost between anyone at the system and the university. I don't I appreciate still, that. They've still I got still the same. They've got the, the same logo. I called it the fox guarding the hen house, right. and then I think we transitioned this into it's like more like a mother investigating her kid. And I said it was like your evil stepmother investigating your redheaded stepchild. My question is, which mother and which kid? I've investigated myself. Right. She beat. Who is it? I've investigated myself and found myself innocent. Does not sell. It's like as I've a investigated my kid and, and, and found my kid innocent, well, which is almost said, worse. You, technically, they did not investigate themselves, but I grant you that the optics of it are not great. Yeah. I have another question entirely. There's a Casablanca thing going on here. We're shocked, shocked to discover. Powerful people writing letters on behalf of constituents. Yeah, try writing a column on oh, that. People well, think you endorse it. But, but here's it. my question. Here's <laughs> I thought my question. you had Wallace Hall saying, "Here's looking at you, kids." Are you going to tell powers. me? <laughs> <laughs> of all, of all the, the joints in the we'll, world, yeah, we'll right? always have we'll always have law school. I have I have a question. Are you, you going to tell me, Reed, that no? I'm not going to tell you anything. Le- no legislators have ever written letters on behalf of applicants to Texas A&M. No, this no. happens everywhere. Are you going to tell me that none have written letters on behalf of applicants to Tech? Where in the hell is the drumbeat to investigate those letters? If, if I was at all inclined to talk to you, I would maybe tell you that that had happened. Uh, so we've asked for letters from Texas A&M, and they have – I mean, they haven't given us any, but they have – they're clearly something they don't want to give us because they've appealed it to the attorney general. So, some, they, they so somebody appeal- actually in Texas did want help getting stand, into Texas Stand by. A&M. I want this clear. You're telling me that we have asked for any letters written by legislators to the Texas A&M. They went straight to the president or the chancellor because that's right. the issue is that they go outside the prescribed We have process. asked for any letters that went f- uh, uh, from legislators to the president or chancellor of A&M recommending applicants to various schools. Not in, what, what? A&M specifically. A&M specific, but but I, I mean within the, within the A&M universe because the issue at UT has been the law school principally, right? It's been well, it's been it. both. It's okay, been UT fine. admissions generally. And too. the response from the A&M system has been to ask the AG to keep us from getting access to those letters? Yeah. It's not public information. It's under FERPA, blah, 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 but blah. But also, blah. this happens at every academic institution in the United States, college, I'm sure. university, private school. Heck yeah! Now, but this has this has become an issue at uh, in other right schools. Illinois. So the most famous one is in Illinois in 2009. Uh, you know, an investigation found that there was actually a separate category for applicants with political connections. And Why you'd want to go to Illinois over Northwestern is really anyone's guess. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, a lot of this happens in a lot of institutions, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not excusing it at all. But there was a big story in the Dallas Morning News years ago. You may remember the date when. It turned out that the University of Texas medical system, Parkland Hospital, had a list of people that if they went into the emergency or they went into yeah, got special treatment into surgery, they had carte blanche treatment, you know, white glove treatment, and the you know this. Don't Evans you know who probably this on is, that right? list at Breckenridge. Look, one difference, <laughs> one difference may be that the University of Texas is a public institution. Well, you that's St. Yeah. Mark's School of of Texas, which is where Wallace, I believe, Wallace Hall is an alumnus of St. Mark's. Was on the board. Or was on the board. I believe he may have been a student at St. Mark's. Let's just say. For Let's just say sake Rushmore, he, just for laughs. Let's <laughs> just say, for argument's sake, that he was. The difference between somebody writing a letter on behalf of uh, an applicant to St. Mark's and someone writing a letter on behalf of an applicant to UT would be that UT is a public institution. Public dollars flow through that institution. It's neither somebody here nor writing there. A le- well, no, I think it is. It is because if well, so let me then say. All right, let me ask it this way. Let's assume that a, a elected official was writing a letter on behalf of an applicant to Baylor Law School. Mm-hmm. Baylor is a private institution. Would we be as ex, uh, as as, as uh, concerned 
about about. Uh, I think so. I don't think there's letter. any difference that it's a public university. I think there's a difference. I think there is a it's difference. A gender, and, and, this is a gender split. Well, no, the, the the difference <laughs> here is that a public institution is supposed to be equitable enough in allowing people in that everybody has a shot, and it's not supposed to be for an elite that happens to be politically connected. And if you're trying to get people into school, right. and every time somebody who's politically connected knocks somebody else out of a chair, you're no, you're so if that Senator, much less equitable about about getting into the. So Brian Birdwell writing system. a letter on behalf half of a constituent in Waco or Granbury or what have you to Ken Starr or to the admissions office at Baylor is a different uh, question, appropriateness, right. than, J, say, Joe Strauss or Judith Zaffarini or any of the others who have alleged to have written letters on behalf of people for YouTube. Well, it's even, them wielding it's, authority it's, often with, about kids they don't even know. And it's not really writing letters. That's the tough thing about I mean, the, the question is not, can these people write letters for people? If it's, it's a real deal, they just make a phone call, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. That part we don't even know. No, right? but I, the, I, I, I mean, so far, no one has really questioned the, can people write recommendation letters for people they know? I mean, that seems to be of course a, you can. A, right. perfectly fine. It's These are all, all the letters that they looked at in the first review are letters that went outside the standard admissions process. And actually, so... Uh, Sigaroa said that one of the changes they're going to say is that no letters that come in outside that process, either through the president's office or through a dean's office or something, uh, will be considered in the reviews of applicants so, going so forward. So my, my daughter replies, just to pick a hypothetical example, my daughter replies to UT, and a legislator writes a letter on her behalf, and and it is one of her official recommendations as part of the applications process, and it goes through the admissions office. That's okay from Sigaroma's perspective. Yeah, if it goes straight to the admissions office. Front door, yeah. not then, side door. But if it goes to Powers and then Powers sends it to the right. admissions so office. So front door, not side if, door. If the kid gets into school on his or her merits, it doesn't matter who wrote a letter for them. If they get into, if they wouldn't have got into school but for the letter from influential person A or B, then you got a problem. Well, except, except. Except if, for that's the purpose except, of those letters. If the admissions office gets two applications, one contain, and the students are of equal uh, merit or w- worthiness to mm-hmm. be admitted, and one of them has recommendation letters from the science teacher at the school and from the neighbor who's lawn the kid mowed for years to show the kids kind of hard work ethic and character. The other application has letters from the speaker and the chair of the higher ed committee in the Senate. Hire the kid the admissions most office gets both, and there's one spot. <laughs> You're telling me that. I mean, I, I actually think that it still matters. It seems to me that it still does matter. And yeah, that well, the admissions all the... office has to disregard the the clout of the mm. person who writes the recommendation letter. Well, you know, I mean, the universities are having to cut back on their uh, janitorial and gardening services. So the lawnmower might, <laughs> might the actually be the useful. The mower might right. actually get in. But <laughs> and, you understand the point. I'm not sure that it matters all that. Uh, no, I think – I mean, the thing is influential people have influence no matter which door they enter through. I mean, right. sort of – but just is it a pro, is it undue influence or is it just influence is and, the question. And, and the I don't in, think – go ahead. No, I was just going to – and the influence of it coming – the appearance of it coming through the president's office and having the president's, you know, email traffic on it and having it forwarded from that level uh, in administration, I think, looks, you know, like additional right. influence. And the idea of somebody writing a recommendation letter to the president or anybody else with clout mm-hmm. – is not so much the issue because let's say you've got somebody who wants to get into Vanderbilt. Great school. And you've got the speaker who is an alumnus of Vanderbilt writing a letter, but you then have somebody who is not politically – that's a bad example, UT. Let's make it a UT thing. So mm. Senator Zaffarini Less exciting is a UT alumnus. Senator Zaffarini writes a letter. But then you have a CEO of a – Rex Tillerson, the CEO of Exxon. Writes a letter. He's another distinguished alumnus of UT. Is Rex Tillerson writing a letter to Bill Powers on behalf of an applicant okay 
Patrice Zaffarini is not okay because somehow there's an appropriations aspect to a legislature. No, the issue here is whether the the system is fair. I mean, most of, it's case by case, but does somebody have their thumb on the scale on behalf of somebody because of a call from an influential person. So Rex Tillerson writing a letter is the same as Judas Zafarini, both bad? And let's just be clear. This this debate is not about students with, you know, high levels of merit necessarily getting it. That's exactly right. It's about students who apparently, you know, have not been as qualified by— Students lower on the bubble. Yeah. So so Rex Tillerson writing a letter on behalf of a kid who may not have the best grades or the best LSATs is a problem? I'm not saying it's a problem. It's a problem if that tips the scales and that student gets in over other qualified. I more think people would raise questions if because Rex Tillerson gives money to UT, he can control the admission system. Well, then, then the attempt to investigate this is going to go back hundreds of years to to the very origins of the higher ed system. I mean, again, this is a Casablanca thing. I'm can, shocked, shocked to discover that donors to universities have influence over shit that happens on but university But your history campuses. of doing bad things is not a defense against doing bad things in no, the future. No, but, but, but it's as if this problem— <laughs> We still no, do the trip cast no, anyway. But it's as if, right. <laughs> no, but it is as if— But there is a little bit of this, like, we just discovered that this problem well, is— right, it's like, right. Come, well, that's, please, that's why, please. That's why it sort of remains to be seen how it serves Hall— as he's investigated by other people, right? So, like, even if this plays out, sort of validates some of his concerns, that doesn't necessarily scuttle his uh, imp- the investigation of him by the legislature, which you know the people involved in that have said um, yeah, that they're investigating sort of more his means than his ends. And whether that's an excuse to just keep investigating or not, we'll see. But you know, uh, the exact way this plays out, because in part because of what you said about the sort of everyone sort of knows this aspect of this scandal uh, remains to be seen. But tactically, you have to say from the Hall side, it's pretty brilliant to go after many of the people who would be uh, for impeaching him because the appearance now exists that they're impeaching Hall to shut down any investigation. It gives him a forum. Mm -hmm. It gives him a forum. I mean, you have to say tactically, it's pretty smart. All right. Well, if you would like to say that to us in an email, you can uh, email tribcast at texastribune.org. Uh, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music and encourage everyone to go to iTunes and review us very positively. On behalf of Emily Ross, Evan. Oh, say bad things about us, right? That's okay. We don't mind. Also, Shiny no, no, Ribs no. is playing at Blues on the Green in Austin tonight. Oh, but the weather's bad. Also, this podcast, well, most people listen to it not tonight. Well, that's their Look problem. Look at the analytics. Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> our producer, Todd, did I say his name? Todd. I did now. He's here, and we thank him. We'll tweet out a picture of his shoes later. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it. They're, they're like very art department <laughs> he chic. He works at the art department, that. apparently. <laughs> That's the issue. All right. Uh, so long, everyone. Hey, Capizio Pumps, can we get started here? I've got to get moving. <laughs>